This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Welcome back, Star Wars fans, to another episode of Coruscant Radio Underground. I'm Andrew. I'm here tonight with Marisha. Hello. Daniel. Hey. And David is back with us tonight. And we're going to catch up. We kind of got behind, but we're going to catch you back up on the last three episodes of The Mandalorian. We're going to spend, obviously, most of our time on the finale as that's, you know, there's not, not as much left to talk about about what might be going on now that we've seen how it ended. Um, but I mean, overall, you now that we've got the full season, what are your thoughts on this whole season? Daniel, we hadn't heard from you much on the season. What, what were your thoughts on the season as a whole? Actually, pleasantly surprised, I guess. I was impressed with some of the things we were concerned about before the season started. When we got all the casting news mm-hmm. and uh, rumors about different characters being introduced, we actually all kind of talked about and was... Uh, curious how it would work that there was com- some concern over you could, by the time you introduce a live action Ahsoka and a live action Bo Katan and Boba Fett, bring Boba Fett back, that some of this stuff we didn't want it to overshadow our main characters and our main story, right? Right, right yeah. Um, and I, I, I think they struck a good balance with it. I was impressed. Um, they when these characters were introduced, and even Cobb Vance too, it, it was all done to propel some piece of the plot forward. Um, we really only had one episode this season that I I felt like was kind of a little bit of filler and didn't propel the main story a whole bunch, but that was just one episode. Um, and as far as all the characters we got, it wasn't just fan service for the fake of fan service. There was some part of the story they were contributing to all the time. Right. Um, so I was very impressed and pleased with that. Um, it was a little bit though of not focusing on Din much. Um, the, the moments though that he does get are, uh, he's still the center of the story. Um, mm-hmm. So I I thought they did a good job with all that. Yeah. And I do feel like what they've done is now set it up in a way to go fully tell his story. Um, Because you kind of had this duality going on where you're really telling two stories in eight episodes. And I think that it was hard. I think that at times they found it hard to move either character's story forward. Um, I, I mean, we were halfway into the season before they really advanced uh, the child, before they advanced Grogu's story. Yeah, he was just sort of there for for a little while. Really until we meet Ahsoka. We mm-hmm. didn't move his story forward at all. Right. He was almost like the little cute MacGuffin that was just sort of like, and this is the thing we carry around and, you know, try and find answers about. So, yeah, I mean, I do think, and I mean, obviously we're going to talk about that. That's a big part of what we're going to talk about. I mean... Right now, Din is the rightful ruler of Mandalore. How crazy is that? Well, 
Yes and no. With well, the no, whole, absolutely. By by historical tradition among the Mandalorian, he is the rightful ruler. He is the last no, person to claim that saber strictly through combat. No, and I understand that. I get that part of it. But there is still also, I mean, Bo-Katan is the, is the heir through the line of the last ruling family as well. Right. I understand the, the lore around the dark saber, but I'm just saying... And, and then Din doesn't want it. That sets up some really interesting things for season three is Din doesn't want it anyway. Well, so. and it's a really, it's an interesting dynamic because there is sort of at this point more than one tradition for, you know, Mandalore's rule, ruling class. You know, you have the but old the tradition. the second tradition only developed because the Darksaber was lost. Did the Jedi and have see it? all this stuff? All this stuff can play out next season and be very interesting because all the stuff yeah. we're talking about these are the conflicts the characters are going to go through. Also, um, you know, so they have they have a tradition of a you know they have what the Duchess Satine, so some sort of um, ruling family, but also this older kind of ruler by virtue of right. Combat. And we're going to get into all this. I kind of want to get into the speculation for next season at the end, but I mean from. My perspective, what we do have is, or what we've had in the Mandalorian history that we know, that we're real familiar with, is this stretch of history where no one has been able to unite mm-hmm. the, the clans. They're too divided. They're too polarized in yep. their beliefs for any one person to unite them. Exactly. So, and, I, and I'll get more into that in a minute. But uh, David, what, what have your thoughts been on the season as a whole? Uh, on the whole, the season's been great. Um, I don't know. It's like, I don't want to, I feel like anything I say negative is just nitpicking. Cause I mean, overall it has been great. You know, like, like Daniel said, you know, there's one particular episode where I'm, I'm sure he's thinking the same thing as me that I felt like really didn't serve any purpose to the story and really just killed time. Um, right. The only other negative to me is the fact that, I feel like mainly in the first season, I really feel like it was more of a self-contained story. It was Din's story. And then when you start bringing in people, you know, from other stories, I mean, the Star Wars universe is really big. And I feel like sometimes things like that can make it feel small. Yeah. And like I said, I feel like I'm nitpicking if I say that, because, I mean, it really has been great. I mean, the action's been great. The story's been great. I mean, everything really has been great. But if I had to say anything, you know, that would be the two the negatives that I would bring up. But um, I just wanted to ask something earlier um, from this last episode. Like I said, you guys know way more than me. But um, if the Darksaber has to be won in combat, didn't Sabine give the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and Rebels? She and did. What, she, how does that make How is that different? Because Sabine never won it in combat. Okay. Sabine found it. And presumably, everyone knew that. And it, I mean, we've had a good... Uh, five, six, seven years in between here where obvious yeah. where it's it's fairly clear that the presence of the Darksaber failed to unite the clans. So I would assume that that's why. But the the big the the, the real answer, the the all you really need to know to answer that is that Sabine didn't win it in combat. Okay, because like I said, I haven't got to watch Rebels yet. So it's like I kind of know the outline of the story, but I haven't actually got to see it. Right. So that's why I was wondering that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been the question on a lot of people's mind because clearly she accepted it the first time. Uh, that that uh, Bo-Katan accepted it the first time. So why, what's the difference? And it's a reasonable question. 
prior to Sabine finding it, the last person we saw with it was Darth Maul. Yep, who did win it in combat. Um, but I don't even know. I think he left it like on on, on Drathomir with the Night Sisters, right? When they all died at some point, Sabine sort of just came across it. Yeah. Um, on the planet, uh, and and you know, like Andrew said, it would appear that having just come across it didn't really have the desired effect of, hey, everybody rally behind me. I, you know, I, I'm wielding this thing by, you know, the strength of my arm. It was just like, hey, everybody, you know, so maybe that not having gone quite as well as hoped the first time is part of the reason she's not looking to repeat that exact same, yeah. um, that same thing again. Um, but anyway, kind of backing up a little bit from the finale and looking at uh, chapter 14, the tragedy. So cha uh, backing up to chapter 14, the tragedy. This is the episode where, you know, we revealed Boba Fett earlier in the in the season with just a little quick reveal. But this was our first real look at Boba Fett is back. You know, we had some interesting stuff. I mean, we, we don't have to speculate anymore on on who the child may have reached out to from the seeing stone and all that. Obviously we've got that answer and we're going to talk about that in a minute. So really what's left to talk about is these two characters kind of coming back from the dead in Boba Fett and Fennec Shand and what y'all thought about those characters. Well, it did also answer a question of in season one, when we saw someone walk up and find Fennec, right? And there was some speculation. We thought maybe that was Boba Fett. Uh, so that question got answered, obviously. Um, and we got some. We got a little more. We got to see more of Fennec this season, and and I, I think got a better feel for her character and who she is. And uh, I, I enjoyed that. And of course, the big one is Boba Fett that people have waited forty years to see. You know, Boba Fett back in action. Right. Uh, somebody called him. Somebody called him Dad Bod Boba. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Morrison put on a little weight, but yeah. he still pulls it off. He did um, well, and of course, in that first, uh, I think it was meant to look a little haphazard the way he was wearing it in that first episode. The yeah, yeah, back. it was and incomplete. I, and I was actually going to say that they did in the in the last in the next two episodes, you don't notice it as much. Right. Like it, it looks like it. It looks like it fits him better. He's um, I don't know. Whenever he, when he, when he, when he dropped down in the middle of the fight wearing the armor, you were like, "Oh shit!" You know, <laughs> uh, it was it was definitely a great moment. David, the other David, uh, in a off the air conversation, said this season was fan service done right, and that's one of those moments that alludes to that. Um, I like seeing them back in action. I like the idea that. Boba and Finnick are working together. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, two characters who you've always had the impression have been loners, you know, finding common calls. And, and they also finally getting the history. We kind of got a better explanation of, of, of who and what Django was. Right. Mm -hmm. The fact that it was his armor. He fought the Mandalorian Wars. And, you know, and the fact that our Mandalorian, Din, feels like, Boba does have a worthy claim to the armor because it was his father's. Um, but just getting the explanation, and there's some little Easter eggs in there from Legends, too, about somebody actually decoded what that little data string said. 
And and there are some references there to things that were in Legends. And this show's done a really good job of, of bringing some of Legends back into canon. Yeah, it has. Uh, so I, I, yeah, no, I I was really glad. And we, we, we questioned that, like the whole Django thing. Was Django really a Mandalorian or not? Because there was some contradiction there. And to actually get an explanation of it that sort of makes sense to both lines of reasoning was... Mm-hmm. What was good. They did a good job with that. I was right. glad to get that. Well, and we even find out in chapter 15, I mean, Den is immediately willing to accept Django was a foundling. So Den is right. completely willing to just accept him as a Mandalorian. Bo-Katan immediately denies him as being Mandalorian. And as far right. as she's concerned, he's just another clone. So right. it doesn't even well, matter yeah. who Django Fett was to her. You're just another clone. Right. And the, the question of Boba being... Being, you know, whether or not she considers Boba Mandalorian or not is a little more complicated because he is, he, he's a clone. But the real question was always, was Django? And I right. still don't know if we know where Bo Katan stands on whether or not Django was a Mandalorian. She was basically saying that Boba's not. Right. Right. So, um, as far as Fennec Shand, like, what are y'all's thoughts on the character? Because, um, I mean, I love the character. I'm all for more Ming Na Wen in Star Wars. In anything. Uh, in anything, really. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but this character, I mean, it looks like going forward that we're going to get a heavy dose of Fennec Shand in Star Wars going forward. Her character shows up in the trailer for the Bad Batch. And of course, we're going to talk a little in a little bit about the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> right. So, Marisha, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on Fennec Shan's character? I mean, Boba's oh, back. Man. Boba's. I mean, you know, I had a long conversation on in, in our chat with the the Red some folks from the network from the Red Five Network, mm-hmm. and most of them, no, I won't say most, but some of them were convinced that Boba Fett was dying at the end. Yeah. Of the season, mm-hmm. and I couldn't wrap my head around bringing him back. To kill him off that Just to quick. kill him off again. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that the galaxy is a lot, was a lot, co- if you were going to bring him back and kill him, I would feel cheated. Mm-hmm. Um, I would feel a little bit like the galaxy was always a little bit more interesting just knowing he was out, you know, knowing that he might be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I made the argument there in the chat that I think Boba Fett's story going forward from this point rather than back is a lot more is potentially a lot more interesting. Yeah. And uh, that's obviously where we're going, but uh, it looks like Fennec Shand is along for the ride. So, I mean, she's just so great. The thing about Fennec Shand is she's one of those characters that's a little morally gray. She's not a completely, and we've run across a lot of these characters. Yeah. You know, she's she'll she'll do the right thing sometimes, but you know, she's and, and you kind of you kind of root for her because she's she's cool, but she's also you know, we've we've come across several of these characters in The Mandalorian that are not nearly so black and white as the original trilogy characters. You know, the 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 tr- you know, kind of your classic Star Wars, you have the good guys and the bad guys and the guys who, you know, are going to be good guys here really soon. Um, and so the thing that we've come across in The Mandalorian is some characters that are just, you know, you kind of root for them. 
but you also know that they're dangerous. That we, and I think that's a really interesting um, thing about Fennec Shand is she's a lot more of a wild card than some of the others. Well, she is that but we I come mean, across, right? But see, I think that that's a, I think that's something that Dave Filoni's always done really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hondo Anaka is very much that morally grace Jack Sparrow in space, right? Yeah. I mean, he might do the right mm-hmm. thing, right? But ultimately, he's going to do the right thing for himself, right? Exactly. Now she clearly has an allegiance to Boba Fett. You know, she has seems to have some kind of life debt. Um, arrangement going with him right and and that's all interesting but it is as well as when you're talking about these morally great characters i mean din starts off that way yeah absolutely and bo katan is this is very much i mean when we first met bo katan she was a villain right now the thing is though about the mandalorian characters is they do have a code of you know of honor assassins tend to not so much operate on an honor system as a pragmatic as a pragmatic system. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, David, what did you think about the two characters, the way they kind of int- reintroduced us to those characters in chapter 14 and just kind of the way that fight played out? Well, I mean, for Boba, you know, like, like Daniel said, 40 years in the making, Boba finally got to prove he really was as cool as we thought he was. Right. Absolutely. Know? I mean, he came in strong and then Finnick, you know, like, you know, being they win, I'm happy to see her in anything. When she kicked the boulder, you know, you mm. know, for the stormtroopers, that was awesome. That mm. was almost like a Raiders of the Lost Lost Ark callback to me. Right. Uh, and then Boba using you know, using the rocket on his backpack to knock the transport ships out of the sky, like that was awesome. <laughs> right. You know, there was a lot of cool action in that. Uh but yeah, I like Finnick and, and Boba together. I'm really excited about this little, I don't know if it's a mini series they have coming out. That's what it looks like it may be. It's got a lot of potential because, you know, I like, you know, morally gray characters. I, they can be infinitely more interesting just because you're, there's a lot more potential. You know, they're not really limited on what they can do. And going back to like, you know, as far as the, the for the codes, you know, and things like that, I was watching Fargo, you know, earlier this week and, I think uh, it was Chris Rock's character said, you know, if you're a criminal, you can't really, th- you know, think like a morally right or wrong because morally you're wrong. You know, <laughs> so normally as a criminal, you know, you develop a code of what's acceptable and what's not. And I kind of feel like that's where they're at. Right. Whether Finnick has a life debt to Boba or what, they're definitely bonded now. I mean, I guess saving somebody's life will do that to you. And so I'll be interested to see where they go from there. Uh, I guess we can get back to that mini series later, but... I'm really interested in the possibilities for that. Yeah. I mean, I think we should probably, let's go on and talk about that. Cause when we're kind of, this is a good spot to talk about Boba because this is where we saw the most Boba Fett was, was here in 14. And we saw a little piece. We saw the armor get cleaned up. We saw his interaction with Bo-Katan. Um, we kind of saw the animosity between our different groups as we left off. Uh, right before they go into the Star Destroyer, or the the crew, the light cruiser there at the end. But, um, I mean, this is a really intriguing series. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, what are what do y'all think they're going to do, Daniel? Do you have any thoughts on? I mean, because well, my whole thing is I like, do what? There's, I have hopes for what for for what I want to be and what I and what I wish they would do. Um, right now. Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian season three appear to have 
the same premiere month, December next year. And that's led some people to have some concerns about, as a speculation, that the book of Boba Fett is going to be Mandalorian season three. And I do not think we're going that direction. I don't either. There's a... and that, it, it wouldn't make sense. You've set up too much of Din Djarin's story going forward. We're actually, like you said a minute ago, we're actually finally at a place where we can focus just on Din right. and his character development. That's what we should do. Um, I, I would not, I wouldn't mind Book of Boba Fett being a movie or a one shot or a one off or a limited series. Um, and, and the only thing that makes me kind of wonder about that is I can't see them releasing both shows in the same month and having them go head to head every week. And you're trying to watch two stories set in the same timeline at the same time. I, I think maybe just have Book of Boba Fett be a be a one shot or a very limited series. Yeah. I think maybe the way we're going. I, th- I think that's probably what they're doing. I mean, they did say that they weren't going to do movies on Disney plus, but I do wonder if everything that's happened with COVID may have changed that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that now they're going, well, we want to tell this story. It's really like a two hour story. So let's just make it a movie. You know, I, I don't know what the point is. What do you think they're going to, I mean, like, is he said, I mean, obviously he walks in, he claims, you know, the dais there in Jabba's palace, uh, which was just such a cool moment. Uh, yeah. Just the two of them there, great. him sitting on the throne and Finnick there with her drink. That was actually the coolest part was Finnick sitting there next to him with her legs all draped over lounge back like a badass. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, but uh, I guess the thing is, like, is he is he setting himself himself up as the head of Jabba's what's left of Jabba's criminal empire, it, yeah. or is this? Well, I think that's or is the, the assumption? I mean, is it that, or is Boba Fett is it is he on a mission to right some wrongs from his past? Or it could be both. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I think he's absolutely trying to set himself up to take over Jabba's empire. I mean, that may be it. I'm just, and I, and I I like that idea. I mean, that's kind of the Boba Fett we've always wanted, but um, I mean, we clearly set this character up at the end of this season, the last three episodes where he's not just a bad guy. Um, Well, no, he has a, he has his own sense of honor and responsibility doesn't mean he's not a bad guy. Uh, you know, it's... I guess we'll, we'll he, develop his code a little more. Yeah. I yeah, mean, exactly. we are. I just... I guess my curiosity is, are we... I mean, uh, and we've discussed this before, uh, kind of the anti-hero role is something we've never really dealt with in the Star Wars universe. Um, I, I guess you could say Dash Rendar is about as close as we ever got. Uh, is, is there any chance that that's what they're doing or is that something you would even like to see? No, I would very much like to see Boba Fett's taking over this criminal empire and let's see all the resistance he has to that and things he has to deal with 
And I'm sure there will be situations where, well, this particular act does go against, like Marisha said, his own particular code, and we'll have to deal with that. But as far as making money from smuggling and arranging assassinations for people he thinks deserve it and stuff like that, that's absolutely within the character that I think Boba is that we've gotten so far. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am curious about that because I really don't know. I'm really okay with either concept. Um, an interesting concept I've seen presented for him is that kind of this, I mean, really going back to the roots of ancient storytelling, this idea of rebirth. Mm-hmm. That he died and has been reborn. And in, in that, there has to be something different about who he is. Well, he takes off his helmet now. We never did see that before. Yeah, but we don't get the impression that that was ever against any any of his particular code. Which no, no, no. It just it just an observation, mm. not necessarily an in universe observation, but just a what we've seen so far observation. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason that they are able to show his face now is we know who Boba Fett is, and and he's yeah. we're locking in. He can do it. Gone. I mean, we had multiple people across multiple films in the suit previously, right? Uh, so I think now that like we're locking into this is Boba Fett's identity, right? Like we we now know who what Boba Fett's supposed to look like. So now you can show his face without it being right uh, taking anything away from the character. The 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 you know in the originals it was the mystery of not knowing. Uh huh. That was at at that point in time. I mean nowadays we do especially because of video games. We're way more accustomed to a character that never we never see their face. I mean, that's that's a huge part of the premise behind Halo, behind Master Chief and Halo, is right. that you're the hero. You get to be the hero because we never see his face. Right. So it's you. It's, it's you put yourself in that role. And so we... But now I think, it, you know, it's more normal. In 1983, it was kind of unusual to have this character who we... I mean, the thing is, is George has said many times that he never had any idea how big of a deal Boba Fett would become. Yeah. He's just a side character, you know, but he was one of the coolest looking characters in in the movies. Mm -hmm. And then you took him and you, all indications are, even though we don't get to see a lot of it, all indications are, is that he's a badass. Right. Right. David, do you have any thoughts on what you would like to see them do with Boba Fett in whatever the book of Boba Fett ends up being? Well, just to touch on what you said before with rebirth. I mean, Especially, you know, if you're left for dead and come back, I mean, he's probably more bold now. You know what I mean? It's like right. you got to go for broke. And I would like to see him run the criminal empire, you know, enterprise out of the palace. Right. I mean, he could go full on Peaky Blinders as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And and I think you're getting real close to the mark of what we're going to get. It's something with that kind of feel to it. That would be awesome if they'll let him do it. Um, and I didn't see one thing we don't know because they kept this one under wraps during the investors meeting a couple of weeks ago is I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that whatever this is, is John Favreau. I think that I did see that Favreau and Filoni were doing this one in the Ahsoka series. They're doing two of the series that were announced in the, um, 
in the at the Investors Day. Oh, okay. They're doing right, the Rangers it. of the New Republic as well. Okay. So this may be a third, which further makes me think that it may be a one shot or or a very short, you know, two or three episode. Yeah, that's a lot mini. going on at one time. But at the same time, they're kind of playing in this pool with it's all the same characters and they're all sort of connected, you know, even if loosely. Um, so I, I'm really excited. Marisha, I mean, do you have, before we move on, do you have any thoughts about what the book of Boba Fett might be about? Uh, not particularly. I just think we're going to see Fennec Shand and Boba Fett being uh, very badass. I just, I expect, I expect there will be a premise, but I expect that to really be the point of the show. It's like, and they're cool and they're a little scary. Uh, So, you know, whatever, whoever they're coming for better beware. Um, I expect that all the people who have done Boba Fett and Fennec Shand wrong in the past, I expect they better. uh, Well, that's what I, that's what I expect the, the book is. With yeah. the reference to a book, is that it's a book of either marks he hadn't finished or mm-hmm. uh, people that have wronged him. So of course, I hadn't that, thought of it that way. I like that. That does leave the question: if uh, how if Han Solo and Luke Skywalker are on his list of people he's going after? Maybe, but I mean, he was never after Luke, and he captured Han. That's true. Yeah, so, but they did also kind of land him in a bad spot. It's he, true. He could hold them responsible for the whole Sarlacc I incident. I don't think we're... Do- I think it's going to be... We've, we've heard for how long, Daniel? Almost 30 years about um, this Criminal Underworld series? Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, this is was. it. This is this is it. This is the perfect time and place to do it. Um, and and I so I don't think we're going to deal with the likes of Han Solo or Luke Skywalker. I think we're going to see characters more ali- along the lines of Prince uh, Shizor, um, maybe a Dash Rendar, maybe you know these other characters, uh, Cad Bane if he's still around. These other characters in in this underworld. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not forget that young Boba in Rebels. There were a lot of people that did him wrong as a kid. Yep. So, uh, you know, who knows? I, I, I'm just really excited about that. That was a really, really cool announcement there at the end. And, mm-hmm. um, But we just, like I said, we don't know that much about it yet. But I assume we'll start hearing stuff really soon with yeah. it being a year out. Yeah, I think so. Um, but kind of, I guess the one last big question from Chapter 14 what about the yeah the ship? How did y'all feel about the ship being destroyed? Man, oh, oh no! <laughs> I hated that, and I still I'm still upset about it. I don't. That's the tragedy of the tragedy, right there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Grogu got captured. Oh wow, we know we're getting Grogu back. That gum that that gum ship. Why they blew that ship up? That ship is so cool. That's like the first like iconic main character's ship we've had destroyed. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, hell, Luke sank Luke sank his X-Wing in the ocean for 30 years, rose it up, and it still flew. You know? Right. I mean, all the crap that Money and Falcon's been through. Oh, I'm still upset about this, y'all. <laughs> I'm still upset. 
But y'all know I love that we've talked before. That's like, that's what I collect. Other than my comic books, my Star Wars collectibles are the vehicles. I like the ships. I like the ATATs. I like I like stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. and it just I loved, I loved the Razor Crest, and I have no idea. He better get another cooler ship. Is all I got to say. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they'll yep. do. I, I was actually a little shocked and disappointed that that wasn't addressed yeah. um, at the end of the season in any way. But I guess we'll find out at the beginning of next season. But, yeah, I mean, that was shocking. That I, they was just, like, I couldn't believe they did that. And I'm really glad he got the best car staff out of there. Yeah, the staff survived. Like I, said, now the, I kept asking about his foot locker that he had. Right. So I guess there's no more. Yeah, the, the pulse rifle's gone, which is disappointing. Yeah. And Maz is, is, is no more. Like, I can't think of the name of the droid that he had. Oh, yeah. Like, stuck at the corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of the name of the droid. But, yeah, all that's gone. Um, Took the ball. That was an interesting choice. I, I'm, I'm curious to see because, I mean, we didn't really get to find out what their intention. They did it for a reason. And not just so they could ride around and slave one. Right. Like, there's definitely a reason that they decided to do that. Um, so I guess it'll just... I guess they're just going to leave that one for Well, Den's going to be pretty on. much, you know, by himself. I mean, he doesn't have anywhere to go or anywhere to get, you know, anywhere to be necessarily and no way to get there. Right. So I guess that'll be part of the next season. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he seems like the sort of person who probably goes and tracks down another Razor Crest. I'm just saying. Like, doesn't he seem like he's a little bit sentimental like that? Like, he's probably going to go try and find another model. Like, you know, he he wrecked his, you know, his Corvette. He's going to go buy him another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, there's any number of things they could do. Um, and I don't even know what I would like to see them do, but I'm sure they'll do something cool. They know, they know, Favreau and Filoni know how important the cool ship is to a yep. character in Star Wars. So, mm-hmm. um you know, that's that's one of the things that's kind of always been inherent in Star Wars, really came out of George Lucas's love for classic cars. Right. Mm-hmm. But kind of moving forward, uh, chapter 15, The Believer. Honestly, y'all, I, I didn't think that, uh, I never expected to enjoy Bill Burr's acting that much. <laughs> oh, no, he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He really was. Yeah. I, I, I'm like you, that was just... He definitely flipped me on that character. In the first, he was he was good in the first season, but he was so good that the character was just like really ignoring, and you spent the whole time pissed off at what a jerk he was, mm-hmm. and that's probably what they were going for. And you you really managed to flip that character around this season. I I, I enjoyed it. He was excellent in that episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you get a good look at why he is the way he is. Yep. Yep. You've been through some shit. Yeah, he really has. You know, it's kind of like whenever you, and, and it's like in real life, when all of a sudden you're like, you know, I can't stand that person. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, you know, he watched his entire platoon die and, you know, and this and that. And you're like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, now I feel like a jerk for like judging him so harshly. Um, I do feel like, though, he's definitely off doing some shady stuff on that planet there. Like, you know, he, he, he clearly has a reason he's the way he is. And he's, he's again, got a code, uh, and he's got to sleep at night. Right. But he's definitely, I don't think he's going totally legit here. (laughs) 
Well, no, I mean, I definitely it, like to see him again. Yeah, there, there's some definite character development there because that's, you know, there was a at one point in his life there was a cause, and that he believed in and he fought for mm-hmm. and he was a part of and he watched it all just he just be- and became disillusioned with it for good reason you know mm-hmm. um so it's yeah I, I enjoyed that i'm like andrew i never thought i would enjoy bill burr's acting that much he was really good yeah and oh. and uh i really got a kick out of how convincing it was whenever he takes that helmet off it's like you really believe like this guy has never like had an actual human interaction with anyone with his actual face in his entire life. <laughs> it was, you're looking at him and it's like, it's almost uncomfortable. It was like, Oh God, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so overall, I mean, what were your thoughts on this episode? I mean, it, it's kind of a, a sidestep to get us to, the end here to get us to Moff Gideon. Uh, but like I said, they, they brought this character back in, which was really interesting. Gave us really good insight into the character. Um, and it's kind of the first time we get to see our crew acting as a unit mm-hmm. before we go into this last fight. Uh, but what, what were things y'all liked or maybe didn't like about this episode? So did anybody else think whenever they were picking off those pirates who were trying to blow up that stuff, like, you know, you're probably shooting people on your same side, right? You know, they're they're selling the whole empire thing, but I think it's definitely kind of a affirmation that, like, you know, these definitely aren't Jedi. They're, you know, they have they have their own different kind of code and. Uh, throwing people right. off of a moving truck who actually they probably agree with on just about everything to accomplish their objective. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a little, it's a little rough. It's a little hard to watch, honestly. Yeah. Well, that scene, we got a, I, one of the biggest things we got in that scene, cause you know, we've all, in, in fact, season one, I hadn't heard anybody complain about it in season two, even though it's kind of the same in season one, Den really uses his armor as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he will just take the shots because he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of a punching bag in season one. He does it a little bit in this one. He did it on purpose in the episode with uh, where we first saw Bo Katan. He right. runs out in the middle of fire to, to throw the thermal detonator. Right. And he, like you said, uses it as a crutch. Um, he, but now we get to see him have to fight without it, and he's a little more competent. Yeah, he did pretty good, but he got, I mean, He's taking, when he first starts fighting, he takes some shots. I mean, there's people, pieces flying off of the armor and. Uh, off of the stormtrooper armor? Yeah, off the stormtrooper armor. And I was kind of watching that. I was like, uh huh, you got used to that being invincible. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you like it now, you know? And you know they did it on purpose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I do appreciate that attention to, to detail. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That they intentionally put him in this different armor and made him the most vulnerable that we've really ever seen him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely believe because like I I was specifically watching him thinking he's oh, fighting oh. like a man who doesn't who has forgotten he can actually get shot. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I I enjoyed that too. I noticed it, but I enjoyed the episode overall. Uh, like I said, like we already said, Bill Burr's 
acting was he was really good in it. I like the 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 development of the character we got in that the moment where uh you know Den takes off his his helmet and um Bill Burr's character actually says something about that you know hmm. one moment you can't this was before he took it off for the face scanner and he told him he said one moment you can't move your helmet now it's just that nobody can see your face you know it seems like you know the rules change change for you however they suit and he was making a point and mm-hmm. and we got to see that as the season went on he was willing to take it off for the face scanner and then he took it off for Grogu in the episode we haven't talked about yet yeah but i think that was the big thing was that he's not going to find Grogu who at this point he sees as a, as a son mm-hmm. he's not finding Grogu unless he takes his helmet off and he's willing to do anything to protect that kid. Right. He's going to get him back. Exactly. So, you know, that, and that's always an interesting thing where where we see people willing to cross those lines of their their belief system to do the right thing. Well, I mean, who which one of us wouldn't pretty much break all of the rules that we've ever lived by if we thought it was going to save our kid's life? I mean. Right. right. Um, no, but we, we've seen his beliefs challenged all season anyway. Mm-hmm. He just now found out there are Mandalorians who show their face. Right. And I, and I do think that for Din, his story, a large part of his story this season was tearing down those walls that mm-hmm. have been built up on, you know, his whole life that he's, he was raised to think one way and now he's having to face that in the real world, things don't necessarily work that way. And even people who claim to be the same thing he is don't believe all the things he believes. Yeah. And I think that was kind of his overarching story was this progression of, of him evolving as a person and, and seeing that it's that the way that he was raised to believe, maybe not all might not always be the right way. Um, which I think is going to play interesting going forward because I think they've kind of pushed him, like you've got these kind of two extreme groups of Mandalorians, which we've kind of always had, mm-hmm. and they've kind of pushed him to the middle. Well, and now he's got to deal with both of them. Right. Well, see, now he's taking that helmet off. Right. So, So here's the question, like... I don't think they had him take that helmet off in front of that scanner for nothing. I think that's something that's coming back down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what y'all thought about that. I mean, honestly, I'm not, I don't know that they did a real good job. That was kind of the one thing in this entire season. I was like, why does it have to be human face? Like, and but here's the thing, just from a logical standpoint, it's a facial recognition Right? Right. So, but at what point or explanation do you give for, if that's the case, then why would Din's face, his adult face, be in, be the, in system? the system? That's a, yeah, that's a real question. Or, and, and he knew that it would be because he was willing to walk up there and do it if he had to. 
or right. are we miss are we misinterpreting it? And it's not maybe it's not a facial recognition thing; it's a facial records thing. So you can see who pulled it up if there's ever a problem. I I don't know. There's probably a way they can explain it away yeah. if that's not the case. But I it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I I really felt like it was there just to show and give DNA another bit of character development to show us that he you cut out on me for do a that there, for Rogu. Your last I'm sorry, what was the last thing I said? Uh, it was just like your last sentence just cut. <clears throat> no, like I, I feel like, I mean, maybe there's a way they can sort of explain the way out of it, but it's, it's almost like it was there mostly just to give us another bit of character development for Jarn, for Din Jarn, that to show us that he was willing to do that to save Grogu. Right. Um, because if you go any deeper than that, then you, like the question's already asked, it doesn't make any sense that his adult face is in the Imperial system. And if it is, I don't know, do they have a plan for it or are they just going to explain it away just to give us that character moment? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, there are a number of ways you can explain it away. I mean, it is the Empire. Is it just assuring that the person sending the message is a human or... yeah. You know what what's going on there, and, and I don't I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it has any overbearing uh, effect on the story. Uh, but David, what did you think about this episode? Kind of up to that point where Din takes his helmet off. Well, uh, for starters, there's a few things I'd like to talk about. I really think Mando and Mayfield like play really well together. As far yeah. as you know, I feel like Mayfield challenges Mando. To kind of, yeah, to kind of think about the things that he does believe, you know, because they've got their own distinct opinions. But uh, I think it's important for him to have people like that around him. I'm hoping we get to see Mayfield again. Um, and then he made, you know, Mayfield made some interesting points as far as uh, when they were chatting, you know, on the way there. You know, as far as, you know, for the local people, I mean, it doesn't really make a big difference to them who's in charge. You know, I what did he say? Um like he said, subject, you know, subjugation isn't freedom from any governing body. You know, all that kind of stuff's cool because they hadn't really talked about Star Wars politics that much. Right. And I know some people like it and some people don't, but I think it's good to include it because you have to think about that bigger picture. Like in this episode here, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but for a second, like when they showed up in the transport and all the stormtroopers, you know, troopers come out and cheer, mm-hmm. you kind of forget they're the bad guys for a second. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because it humanizes them. You know, and so it's not something you really get to see, you know, stormtroopers being people. Right. And I think that kind of stuff is interesting because it's not always, you know, white and black and good and bad. There's a lot of gray in the middle. And um, I think it was important to show that because, I mean, especially in The Mandalorian, things happen so fast. I mean, these episodes are 38 minutes and so much happens. And so it was nice to kind of get a little bit of that complexity in there. And um, on a smaller note, Beginning of the episode, I really thought it was going to take longer to get Mayfield out of there. But uh, was it cool, you know, to see a Star Wars junkyard? I would like to see a lot more of that, honestly. Yeah, no, that was that was interesting. That there's, you know, kind of this prison planet or what, you know, whatever's mm-hmm. going on there where they've got them, you know, scrapping metal. I just want to see what's in it. Right. Um. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that they're they're scrapping metal from from the war. Mm-hmm. Repurposing. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been interesting to have seen more of that. I'm I'm curious to see what I'm curious to see what they do with Mayfield going forward. Part of me really thinks that he becomes a recurring character in this um, Rangers of the New Republic show. Yeah. Hmm. He could also show up in the Boba Fett thing, I think. He seems like a yeah. a pretty like he would fit in pretty well there. Yeah. Um I think that I think all of that is interesting. Um but you know, once you know, kind of the big moment, like the one of the deepest character moments that we've gotten had gotten up to this point in this show is this moment where uh, Mayfield is having to sit across the table from this Imperial officer who ruined his that life. That just won't stop. Yep. Well, he stopped. He stops. <laughs> he stops abruptly. <laughs> I, what did y'all think? I mean, because I mean, that's kind of big Mayfield's big kind of defining moment here in this in this episode. I mean, what did y'all think about that? Uh, that was it. Was one of my favorite moments. I mean, that's, that's that was really the moment when we say how much we enjoyed Bill Burr's acting. That's the moment we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. That little exchange between the two of them and the way it plays out is the the best part of the episode, and it's the best moment Mayfield's had in the series so far. Right. That. That was that moment was that episode to me. Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting moment. I mean you can see it building. You can feel the tension building. You can see it on Din Djarin's face, who he knows what's coming, and uh-huh. there's no way for him yeah. to stop it. And you know, and then and then on at the end of it, I mean, the first thing Mayfield does is kills everyone that had been in the room, and looks at. Dan and says, put your helmet on. I never saw your face. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I mean, that, to me, that was, I mean, as far as episodes not involving our main character, that really might have been my favorite moment mm-hmm. in, in this, as far as moments that didn't involve our, our main character. Because, I mean, you know, of course, we're going to talk about the big moment here coming up. I but I mean, really, that still involved. That was very much revolving around Din and the child. But this this other character, aside from the main story, having this moment was was pretty big. And uh, and I like like you said, Daniel, it, it really like it turns that character around. It suddenly this character that you didn't really like and maybe weren't even really meant to, and suddenly you're kind of rooting for the guy, right? Um, but it, it's uh, that was a great episode. I kind of the action kind of turns very video game once they go running and and the snipers are on the hill <laughs> shooting people trying to crawl out the window. But um, the the last real big moment there, and I think we were all kind of I don't know about y'all, were y'all anticipating the uh, the sonic uh, bomb? I didn't even think about it. No, I wasn't. I didn't, uh, that was a, yeah, a moment I wasn't expecting that I never even thought about. And 
but was, you know, obviously you're glad you got it. So. Right. What did you think about that, David? I mean, I mean, obviously that's, that's a drawing something directly from the prequels. I mean, clearly not something we saw in the originals, but we saw it. I mean, probably one of the coolest Star Wars sound effects out there is, is that sonic charge that we see Jango Fett use mm-hmm. in in the prequels and and now and I mean when he was flying away from him I was like he's going to do it and everybody in the room was looking at me like he's going to do what and I was like and uh but I, to me that was a really cool moment and it's just kind of this little moment that just kind of ties things together mm-hmm. um you know little things that I always like where we just kind of tie things together to create to create continuity Absolutely. Yeah. And the coolest thing about that sound effect is actually the silence that goes along with it for a minute. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it's because sound cuts out for a second and then you get that sonic charge. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it, it's really cool. But um, great episode. But I really felt like once we got past that episode that I don't think anybody just loved, which is the one y'all were kind of alluding to earlier, mm-hmm. uh, the spider episode. Um. And, and the problem with that one was it only served, it was really short and it only served this purpose of getting us from, of being the thing that motivated us to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, there was some cool stuff. I mean, you know, you're throwing in some Ralph McQuarrie designed spiders and you're, you know, you get introduced to our new X-Wing pilot. Mm-hmm. So, so we get little things going on there, but it's overall not much there. But really, from that point on, it just felt like every week the story just ramped up more and more and more. And, you know, kind of this thing that I think we all knew we were building towards was we're going to get to the end. He's got to go get the child. He's calling in all the favors. Mm-hmm. Like he's fixing to round up as much of this crew from, from the season as he can. There were some other, I was a little surprised. I kind of thought the reason we had kept pulling in the X-Wing pilots was because I kind of thought that there might be some new Republic involvement. Nope. They're for the in this new final show. Bit. They're for the new show. I, I do believe I'm that convinced. now. I really thought that we might see them show up. I, I thought there were some other, other groups we might show up have show up here. I, I thought we might have more Mandalorians show up. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of thought we'd see more of Carl Weathers' character other than just the one episode. Right. So one thing I want to talk about first, because one of the things we do like to talk about is just cool Starship designs. What do y'all think about the light cruiser? Because those are things we've had in things like video games or mentioned in books, but really never done them live action. Uh, I can do with or without it. And I'm the guy who likes the ships, but that one just doesn't really... <laughs> It didn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah. I mean, part of me would have rather it just been a full-on Return of the Jedi era Star Destroyer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it is what it is. But uh, we brought a couple of ships back. We got our first Lambda-class shuttle since Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Uh, that was pretty great. Uh, so, so we had, had those moments. But, I mean, the big moments here, I mean, really begin with our different groups moving through the ship. Um, So, I mean, just to start off where it started off, we've got our two Mandalorians, Bo-Katan and do we remember the other, 
Mandalorian's name because I'm blanking. Nope. Hang um, on. But Fennec Shan, Cara Dune, and our two Mandalorians moving through the ship. And, you know, and, and I'm just going to say this briefly. One of the things that we have talked about in the past, particularly when we've done shows with, uh, with the Scarif podcast, is when we talked about, we did a big episode with them about. last year about Leia. And one of the things we talked about with Leia and kind of the way that some of these female characters were handled in the sequel trilogy, and it's like, sometimes they want to say, oh, look, look, it's the badass female character, and they have to, like, they feel like they have to almost, it's almost like there's arrows pointing to her, like, badass female character, so that you make sure you know. Or you had characters in the originals, like Leia, who you didn't need somebody to tell you she was a badass. She didn't have to tell you herself that she was a badass. She just was. That's the key right. to being a badass right there. Do what? That's the key to being a badass. Right. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to broadcast it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like I contrasted it to the um, the team up in, was it Endgame? When they were like, yeah, that's conspicuously, every woman on the battlefield sort of like got in this like line and like, we're going to make a run of women. And it was yeah. like. It was a little forced. It was like, I mean. Uh, I just I felt like I kind of cringed honestly it's like I mean I appreciated it on some level because it's like okay that's kind of cool but on it just felt so forced I don't like and I've said this if I've said it once I've said it a hundred times I don't like to be preached at and I felt like it was like a women can have team-ups and be badass too and it was like I just I'm watching it I'm like well then why didn't you make a movie about a woman you know, seven years ago, you know, but now we have to like make up for lost time. Oh no, we haven't done enough stuff with women. So here's your team up. And so contrast that with this and they're just like marching and and they're all there because it makes sense in the story. We didn't just have to like ignore all of the men in the entire series just so we could have a team up of like really compelling women. They were just there. They were the characters that made sense. And, and so we just went with it. Right. And they are. And I mean, it's, it's really one of the, you know, most badass moments in the whole series is mm-hmm. those four working their way through that Star Destroyer. Yeah. And, and they earned it. Like y'all said earlier, sometimes Marvel, the Marvel Endgame was a good example where Andrew said it felt forced. That, that moment was earned. And yep. it made sense to the story and it fit. And it was what it was. But the my only issue and kind of being along the lines when we're talking about the female characters who by the way are all badasses and they have all earned that right um katie sackhoff's dialogue was sometimes bo katan's a little too melodramatic for me in this episode she's Um, kind of that way though always she was always that way in the in rebels i know I know, I, like I remember her being that way in Rebels. I know that character's always been that way, but the um, the first episode we saw her in that was really toned down, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. So I thought maybe now that she's live action, we were getting away from that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> no. And I'm a huge Katie Sackhoff fan, so that's got nothing to do with it. She's she plays that character brilliantly. Um, but that was really my only problem with the episode that ever kind of felt weird to me was the the um, 
moments where she's a little too overly dramatic. Yeah, she definitely um, likes likes her kind of imperious, you know, moments, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Like, you understand why Boba Fett keeps addressing her as princess, because she sort of has that, she has that thing kind of going on. And that, that's kind of a Han Solo Princess Leia callback a little bit, too, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Which would be pretty cool if they kind of give them sort of the same relationship, but that's speculation. Yeah. They could, if if, uh, but I, I kind of think I, I really, I'm I'm not sure how much Boba Fett is going to have to do with the Mandalorian story going forward. But and it does kind of appear that going forward next season, they're kind of moving into what I always thought this show was about in mm-hmm. restoring Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's really a big part of the reason why they brought Bo Katan in in the first place, and. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they go about that. I mean, as far as we don't know yet whether he's joining them in their quest to restore Mandalore or not. We'll have to wait till next season to find that out. But mm-hmm. um, the parallel scene to the women walking through and killing everything in sight, uh, I think my favorite moment of that was when Cara Dune's Gun messes up. <laughs> and she's finally, they're like, somebody's like, do you need help with that? And she finally just slams it on the floor. Nope, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all like ducking, <laughs> trying to make sure it doesn't like misfire in their direction. Yeah. That's pretty great. Uh, but the, the parallel scene is obviously Den trying to make it to the room where the dark troopers are to shut it before they get out. Um, we've wondered about the dark troopers. We finally got an answer. The third generation. We talked about, were you here to talk about dark troopers? I think David was. Yeah, I was here. Okay. Um, we kind of had this, we know there were multiple generations. I, I love that, that they really pulled that in where there had been several iterations of the dark trooper where early ones were exoskeletons, exosuits, and later ones weren't. And they actually like, Full-on just said, yeah, these are third-generation uh, dark troopers. No, no no, more need for a person. Mm-hmm. Um, what did y'all think about the way they handled them? I mean, Den's fight with one. I mean, obviously, we, for a very specific reason, showed how impervious to attack these things were. Mm-hmm. All right. But uh, what did y'all think about the fight with the dark trooper? I enjoyed the fight with the dark trooper. The moment where he first reaches the holding bay that they're in and he sees a dude, he's like, Oh crap. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, mm-hmm. so he's got to get there. He's got to get there and tell him this. And then he's one-on-one against one. And you can just see how tough that best guard is in that moment. Right, that right. The dark trooper is punching him through the wall <laughs> through the, with the right. armor. Right. But no, I, I, I enjoyed that. And like Gideon tells him later on in the episode, you know, you had trouble with one dark trooper. What are you going to do against the whole squadron? Yeah. Um, because like Andrew said, that's there for a reason to show us how, you know, tough they are, how imperious they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, shooting them out the air lot was a good idea. Yep. But it, although we had already established that they were droids, so as soon as I saw him go out the airlock, I was like, yeah, there's this is a ticking time bomb nail. Because <laughs> we've seen droids, specifically in Clone Wars, you know, get blown out of airlocks and, like, just sort of come 
jetting, you know, back. Um, so I kind of suspected that's how that was going to go. Sure enough. Yeah. Here they come. Well, we got, you know, we got good use of the, of the spear in this episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was definitely yes. some good reason why they carried that forward and why it was important. Um, I'm still not sure we won't find out more about it down the road, but mm-hmm. obviously he needed it to go toe to toe with the dark saber. Right. And apparently yep. to kill the dark trooper. But, um, what did y'all think about the, uh, the throwdown with Moff Gideon, uh, David? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I guess Moff had to take the cheap shot. It's one of those things like you knew it was coming, but like still, that was yeah. really great. And um, I was really kind of impressed how well Din did with that spear, though. Right. I was like, I didn't know if, you know, he'd ever trained with one, if he'd really know what he was doing. But yeah, he came in strong. But it was a really good fight. Marisha? Um, yeah, I thought it was, it was, it was pretty much exactly what I was kind of expecting. You know, we, we've seen some really good fights in the end. It's kind of really cool to see something finally in this show that, that sort of, um, it kind of was reminiscent of a lightsaber fight, right? Since that, Mm. that spear sort of. It, it can stand up to to a lightsaber, so that was the first time we kind of got to see that that type of combat, uh, except for in the episode with Ahsoka right. and, and the spear. So I think that that spear may kind of be their mechanism going forward to to doing some some more fights like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had some of this has had some of the best hand to hand combat we've ever had in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um. Part of me really thought that Moff Gideon was going to be a little bit more of a challenge in that last fight. Mm-hmm. I really thought that they had built the character up to maybe be a little bit more of a challenge, but um, I wasn't necessarily let down by it. I just was a little surprised. I, I thought it was a challenge. I mean... That that spear also, while we're on that subject, does a lot of things for Star Wars. It, it that was foreshadowing done right, for one thing. Whenever we saw the magistrate battle Ahsoka using the spear, so we knew it mm-hmm. would withstand lightsabers. So now yeah. you've got a weapon that you can have your hand to hand battle against the dark saber with, like y'all have already pointed out. But it also just for the lore of Star Wars, it helps a lot that now we can understand even better again how there was a war between Mandalorians and Jedi and the Mandalorians held their own. Right. right. They have scar. They had weapons and armor that were a match for a lightsaber. Right. Which we've never seen before. We've never seen another hand-to-hand weapon that was a match for a lightsaber. Now we know that that Beskar is its match. Right. Yeah, and that, that's all interesting. And, I mean, that goes way back to, I mean, Filoni set that up in the Darksaber episodes of mm-hmm. of Rebels where, you know, Sabine's basically like, we fought a war against, against the Jedi. Our weapons are designed to fight Jedi. Right. Right. Um, but, yeah, it was, although, like, I, I now feel like I need to watch it carefully and figure out, like, where he's stowing that 
it's like it's so long. Like how is where is it fitting in all of his gear? You yeah. know me. I always need to know like the practical things. <laughs> it's really not that long though if you look at it. Okay, that makes sense. It's about lightsaber length. A little longer, but I mean, yeah, a little bit longer. But it's not like it's not like a six footer. It's not like mm-hmm. it's not like a Roman spear. It's a little shorter than that. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, I, I loved it. I love the fight with with Gideon. I love the fact that you know he took the dark saber, and it never crossed his mind like, well, why this is an issue, right? Um, and I feel like Gideon. I mean, he, I think that he goes, I think, I mean, he's a smart man. He knows where everybody's headed. He knows how they think. He knows that Denjarn is going after the child and he knows that Bo-Katan is coming after him. And honestly, I think that part of the reason he goes to engage uh, Denjarn instead of Bo-Katan is just to spite her. I think he did that on purpose. I think he intentionally, if he lost, he wanted to make sure that she didn't get it back. Yeah. That's, I had the, I had the same thought. He did that just to set up the end, that end situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, he seemed a little happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he was definitely thrilled about that. Of course, just as things are getting a little bit dicey on the bridge of the cruiser... Uh, of course, the first alarm goes off, which is our dark troopers coming mm-hmm. back. And we've got, there were a lot more of them coming back than I realized blew out that airlock. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they kept coming and coming. Uh, but, you know, we've got dark troopers. They're punching their way onto the bridge. I mean, this is the the cherry on top of this whole series, really, for me, is this moment you know, this long X-Wing. Yep. And, I mean, I, I lost it. it. You know, at first I'm like, is yep. it the is it the guy that we've already seen? And then they, they hail it and it doesn't respond. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, and she yep. says, oh, one X-Wing, we're saved. And I was, like, expecting, like, the whole rest of the squadron to show up. And then they don't. And it's like, oh. And the kids are going, What? What? <laughs> <laughs> like who do you think is showing up in one X-wing? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they've done on TV what I would say is one of the biggest Star Wars moments. Yeah. Probably since Revenge of the Sith with with the Vader and and mm-hmm. Obi-Wan duel. It's this is huge. This is this is and I, the thing is, if you go online, if you go on YouTube and you watch people that were doing reaction videos to it, I mean, people were getting emotional. Mm-hmm. I got emotional watching it. I, d- I, I did too. I, I mean, it, it's this, I teared up. It's this, this huge is what moment. People wanted a few movies ago, right? And that's the thing. It's like, why? Why would you skip this moment when you can When you decided to come back and do movies. Mm-hmm. This was the moment. This was the one thing that almost universally Star Wars fans wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and they gave it to us in a TV series. And that is just mind-blowing to me. But 
I mean, this, like I said, this is, this is one of this, that moment to me tops any moment from the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. It does, but it's, it is the moment that is, you know, 40 years worth of build up to it. Mm -hmm. Right. We wanted to see, we wanted to see Luke at peak Jedi green lightsaber wielding. uh, This was the moment we wanted to see. And I have to tell this story and I will, I will tell anyone listening, do not do this. I was watching this episode going down the road. <laughs> I was trying to drive and I had my phone on my lap with the episode playing and it wow. Bluetooth across my truck speakers. So I was, you know, watching the episode while I was driving and that X-Wing shows up and I had Marissa's first reaction mm-hmm. or yours, you know, like, Okay, so that's, I still call him Appa because I love King's Convenience, you know, uh, that character. And I'm like, okay, so the Republic's coming. And when they said, I'm hailing them, I'm not getting a response, I went, holy shit. And I literally, I paused it right there because I was finding the next place to park. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I pulled over and I finished the episode and... When we first saw the silhouette of Luke, mm-hmm. I started pounding my feet on the floorboard of my truck. I was, if I could have been jumping up and down, if I'd had room, I would have. And then when we when we got the close up and, and we see the green lightsaber, I, honest to God, I cried. Yeah, Luke is my favorite character. He's always been my favorite character. This is what we've always wanted. Um, now I will also say and tell some of our fellow fans to chill out because you got this thing on social media now where people are using this as an indictment of the last Jedi. Yeah. That those two things can't coexist. Well, I have very outspokenly been an, an opponent of Luke's characterization in last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of it. I don't think that that characterization is who that character should be. Um, but at the same time, these two versions still can coexist. Right. You still have 25 years for Luke to get to the point that we saw him at in Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. This is not a screw you to Ryan Johnson. I this think, is yeah. showing us who Luke was at this point in the timeline, which we have not seen yet. Right. But it and it is the one we wanted to see. So we're all happy we got it. But like I said, you still got 25 years for him to get to where he got to in the sequence. Right. Yeah. I I loved it. This is my favorite moment of anything on television I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It was it was incredible. But you're right. There there are some interesting camps that have developed since that happened, since that moment where there are some people out there proudly exclaiming that John Favreau and Dave Filoni have officially erased the sequel trilogy. Like, if you can't Just, see the foreshadowing I, of the sequel trilogy in this, in what's going on here, you're I, not paying attention. You're not paying attention. Absolutely. Right. You know, and honestly, in some ways, this makes me a little more okay with, 
kind of the place where we we find Luke in in the Last Jedi, because we actually get to see him at his at the the zenith of his power here, and we mm. we we finally get to see who we always knew he was growing into. And so now that you see that he has a decade or so of, you know, relapse into grumpy, cynical old man, it it also makes the kind of turnaround that he has at the end um, really fit well. I feel like it sort of gives the character a the arc that we always kind of knew that he had, but it really shows it a little better. Right. Well, and I think that that was, I think we all sort of agreed on that back when we were first talking about The Last Jedi is that the real problem is that we, you know, it's like we're supposed to just accept this mm-hmm. as this is who Luke Skywalker is now, but we didn't get any of the story in the interim to tell us why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all we got as an explanation was the one moment where Ben was turning the dark side and Luke had a moment. Right. You know, right. We, 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 and we still actually haven't gotten any actual character development for how Luke got to that point. No, we, we know he didn't get there right away. And now we've had that confirmed that he didn't get there right away. But we still don't have a whole lot of, you know, how he really got there. It took 30 years. So there's right. something else going on, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just. Just taking the the fight scene or or Luke, it's barely a the fight. fight. I mean, they they set it up as how they showed us how, just how strong these dark troopers were, only so they could have Luke Skywalker just walk through them like they were not there, just like mow them down. Um, oh, I loved it! I loved it! I loved it. <laughs> David, what did you think about all of that? Well, like. I don't know. Like I knew from the first time they showed the X wing, I was like, "Oh no!" There's like they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And then they did it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. It's what everybody wanted to see. Uh, Skywalkers are undefeated in hallways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm uh, not. Nah, hey. I mean, like you said, they built they, they built those dark troopers up, and he tore them down. And uh, it was honestly to me, it was almost like. Uh, Kind of like the good guy version, you know, of what you saw from Vader, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? As far as just annihilating everybody in his path. Uh-huh. Oh, and I mean, speaking was- of foreshadowing, like, there's the smoke and you see the green lightsaber. Yeah. You know, kind of, in, and the silhouette, and it's like, ah! oh, I was, I was like, if I say low-key losing my mind, that wouldn't be accurate. Like, I was and just... What did you guys think of the CG as far as the de-aging? To me, it looked fine. I think it... There's some people complained about it, but I mean, going back and looking at any of the Marvel stuff, I mean, none of it's perfect. No, like, it's I thought not. They did good. It's a it's a technology that still got a long ways to go. Frankly, uh, I thought it looked fine. I mean, honestly, the moment was so big that a little bit of rough CGI wasn't going to ruin it for me. And honestly, and honestly, the only thing that was wrong with the CGI, in my opinion, is like something doesn't look right when he moves his mouth to talk. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. I didn't care. <laughs> no, and I kind of felt the it same was, way. It was like it, it was at least as good. It was at least as good as Tarkin and Leia in Rogue One. Oh yeah, I yeah. Mean, now Tarkin, like I thought, was an actual legit real person. Leia was noticeably not. But 
this one, like there was now I have to say initially when we first we, we saw it with that with that hood down and we just saw like the bottom half of his face. I seriously thought it was like that's Sebastian Stan. That is absolutely a hundred percent. I did too. A lot of people did that. I mean, Marisha said that's Sebastian Stan, and I said I think so. And obviously, it wasn't. But um, I watched a number of reaction videos to it, and at least half of the reaction videos, somebody with has Sebastian Stan. Mm-hmm. It's like. That's just how much they look alike when you couldn't yeah, see their own Yeah, I always knew they looked alike, but that really cemented it for me. Mm-hmm. That honestly made the moment better for me when the whenever the hood was lowered and it was Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. And you're like, because <laughs> you really, right to the end, you really didn't know that it was going to be Mark. Mm-hmm. And th- the fact that they kept, for all the rumors we had, mm-hmm. for the fact that they kept this a secret, is mind-blowing it is great like a year it's it's insane and honestly like i mean i would have been perfectly happy if we would have seen sebastian stand in the role because honestly i would really i am maybe one of the few people who would actually like to see a luke skywalker series however mark hamill deserved to do this and if they had to do slightly less than realistic cgi to give mark hamill the opportunity to be the luke skywalker that he has been waiting 30 years to come out and be over 30 years 37 years 37 years mark hamill deserved that absolutely no, I agree with that completely. And I, I think that, and, and I, I'm still saying, and I said this before they did it, because we talked about this, I think maybe with Roe, uh, you know, about if they decided to do this. And I said, if it's going to be a scene, mm-hmm. then DH Mark Hamill. If yep. you're making a series, you're probably going to have to recast. But oh, yeah. it, it's, it, you're absolutely right, Marisha, that, Doing this scene, Mark Hamill deserved that moment. And he's just eating it up. Mm, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I love this post on Twitter. And it was like, anybody see anything good on television today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't actually didn't really get an explanation or a detail on it. I'm assuming I mean, he filmed the entire scene. They just de-aged him, right? I don't know if he, they're not telling. They haven't said, I'm assuming that we're going to have to wait. I'm assuming that's going to be the big thing when they do the uh, gallery series for Mm -hmm. season two, that they'll finally let us in on that. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm really not sure. With Leia and Tarkin, those obviously were, you know, new actors and they superimposed Carrie Fisher and, um, Oh my gosh, I've just forgotten my favorite actress's name. Peter Cushing. (laughs) Yeah, Peter Cushing superimposed their features over new actors. Right. I get the impression Mark actually filmed this. Yeah, I think so. I I, mean, he was credited. I think exactly. So, yeah, I'll be curious to see. I'm sure we're going to get an episode of that gallery series that's all about how they did that scene. Honestly, I would be super surprised if he was not actually there on that set just for nostalgia factor. Because Dave Filoni and John Favreau love them some nostalgia. And if they had an opportunity to have Mark Hamill standing on their soundstage as Luke Skywalker, you will, unless they specifically say otherwise, you will never convince me they didn't do it. 
Yeah. Well, Peyton, like y'all said, he was credited. I mean, I'm sure he actually filmed it, which yeah. just makes it that much cool work. Uh, Peyton Reed now has the, uh, you know, Peyton Reed now directed the most lackluster episode of The Mandalorian. What was his other episode? He did the Spider episode. Oh, he did? Yeah. Yeah. And then now having done the biggest moment in. Yeah. In the Mandalorian, yeah, I knew so. that was his second. I didn't realize that was his first. Yeah, well, he caught a lot of flack. Uh, a lot of people were going, "Oh, he's going to ruin it. The last episode is going to be terrible." Because Peyton Reed, it's like Peyton Reed is. I mean, the Ant Man movies are fantastic. Like, why do you he think, didn't write the second episode? Exactly. Right. That was the thing. He didn't write it, and so it's like, why do you think that this like really good director is just automatically going to blow it? Because you didn't like that one thing he did, right? Because you didn't like that one episode, and it, it's like. I, I don't know. I don't know what people thought, but I, I was glad that he got to come back and do, because they kind of had the same thing last season with Bryce Dallas Howard, where she did an episode that was probably the most lackluster for most people of last season. Which uh, I actually like that one. I like that it's episode, but a lot of people, for some reason, my favorite ones. do what? That was actually one of my favorite episodes. I like that episode, but a lot of people, for whatever reason, didn't. Um, now it may just be that it may just be the uh, Gina Carano haters that are just really loud about not liking that one. I don't know, but the but Bryce Dallas Howard did that one, which I think largely was considered the most lackluster of the first season, and then turned around and did a just a off the wall crazy awesome episode this season so i was glad to see all of that happen i was i was glad peyton reed didn't have to wait to uh prove himself but um i mean what were y'all's other thoughts on this i mean uh, what about luke and the the interaction with din and the the child and um grogu's and din's uh interaction with each other which i thought was kind of this moment that cemented this father-son dynamic that they've developed Oh, yeah. that was why I thought about it. What a really hammer home the point of how great that moment was, was that moment came immediately after the Luke Skywalker reveal mm-hmm. and was not overshadowed at all. Absolutely. The moment yeah. it was time for, and yeah, the moment it was time for them to say goodbye, you were, you were all into that. You know what I mean? Right. That became the most important thing happening. Um, yeah, that's an excellent point. It's just a phenomenal job that they did building this relationship. Yeah. But you're exactly right. It's like at the point where, you know, he picks he picks Grogu up, all of a sudden, like the fact that that's Luke Skywalker is suddenly not the most interesting thing going on in the scene. And that's a real accomplishment. Yep. You know, that's a that's a real credit to to the writers and to the directing and and especially to uh, Pedro Pascal's acting. Yeah. Well, and to just the, the like you said, the writers, I mean, this this fantastic job that they've done throughout of making people really, really care about this relationship between these two characters mm-hmm. to the point where, yeah, you can have Luke Skywalker standing over there in the door, but we're going to look at this for a minute. Mm hmm. Uh, David, did you have any thoughts on on that scene in particular? 
No, I mean, it was a great scene. Uh, and, of course, you have Jen taking his helmet off at the end. And I know a lot of people, like, I know a lot of people probably cried when they saw Luke, and I think a lot more people cried, you know, at the end right there. Right. Uh, and I guess that answers the questions of who Grogu was uh, communicating with a few episodes ago. Right. And I appreciated the fact that Luke knew how to bribe a child and brought R2. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, yeah, we had a real fun conversation in uh, in the Red Five chat. Like, you know, oh, what are they saying? Somebody says, "Oh, you remember Anakin Skywalker from the Temple? This is his kid." You know, so we had like a whole <laughs> long conversation about how that that conversation could have gone awry. Like, fan service is something that's widely, you know, criticized, and how dare you have fan service and a blah blah blah. I'm sorry, like most fan servicey thing in the history of all of Star Wars is R two. And Grogu, right there, looking at each other, having this little moment. You, you know, he's doing his little whistling dance thing. It's like, yeah, like that. But it was the most perfect, the most perfectly executed, you know, in, in the same way that we were talking about, like the team up earlier in the episode really just felt organic and it didn't feel forced. I felt like that was another like real fan service moment, quote unquote, that just absolutely worked because it it fit the consistency and the feel of the whole um the whole story yeah it, it's it's this thing where i don't know I, I feel like people throw the the fan service term around too loosely and it's like if it fits if it works if it makes sense that this is part of the story like, yeah, it's kind of fan service, but I, so many people use fan service with a negative connotation. Yeah, it's not always bad. I'm and, a fan. Like, I, I like I like to be, you know, I like people to give me what I want. Right. <laughs> and, and, but it's this thing of like, you know, there's nothing because th there are, believe it or not, people out there that are like, I can't believe that they did that with they brought Luke Skywalker back for this and blah, blah, blah. There's, there's this whole crazy like corner of the star Wars world. Like there's this like On Twitter, there's like this spider web covered corner of the star Wars <laughs> room where like there are people that hate Luke Skywalker. <laughs> what? Why? No. There's somebody out there that's going to hate anything. That's true. No. I mean, how can you be a star Wars fan and hate Luke Skywalker? It doesn't even like Luke Skywalker is star Wars. Yeah. Regardless. I mean, it, it was such a wonderful moment. such a awesome end of the season. You know, it's they took us through in that last 10 minutes through this like really crazy turn of emotions. We're mm -hmm. like, you know, we, we get these really tense moments on the bridge that are interrupted by, you know, oh, now we're all doomed right. to I'm now doomed. we're all. I don't know that everybody was convinced that they were saved. Uh, because Den says open the door and the man, the band, everybody two else go, no, no everybody <laughs> is looking at him like, Oh, are you crazy? It's like, no, this isn't, this isn't better. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I love the look. I mean, because Moff Gideon goes from gloating to just this sheer look of terror when they say it's a, is that it's a, a Jedi? Jedi? He's like, Oh, yep. I mean, because the thing is, like, Andrew and I, the second time we watched it, we were kind of talking. And I was like, the thing is, I, I don't think there's any any explanation where Grogu has a higher midichlorian count than Luke Skywalker. But they sure as heck don't go after Luke Skywalker. 
Like that, that's never even like floated as, Hey, how about like, we know this Jedi's there. Why don't we go get him and get his blood? Like, ain't nobody touching that. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Luke even tells him like, right. right. And, but you know, Luke, and of course Gideon would have known as soon as they said it's a Jedi, it's, Oh my God, it's Luke Skywalker. Right. And, and I love that they did it all. They never had to say his name. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just this, like, awe of there's a Jedi mm-hmm. here. And, you know, he walks in and Din just says, are you a Jedi? Right. Like, Din's got no clue. Right. <laughs> like, what rock have you been living under? Are you a Jedi? Like, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but somebody, I, somebody somebody, said earlier, Din Djarin is the first Star Wars character we've ever had who could care less about Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's it's he's right, but and it works and it fits and it's wonderful. You know he's he's got his own thing going on. We ain't worried about the Empire, New Republic, Old Republic, whatever. We don't care. Jedi, Shmeta, what the hell's a Jedi? Mm-hmm. You know, and he just I don't know. I I love it, but it, it, but it is kind of crazy though that 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 stuff did kind of fit better. When during the original trilogy, we had the impression that there weren't a whole lot of Jedi and that they kind of operated on their own and they were sort of loosely affiliated. And you can kind of understand people not really knowing or believing in the force or what the Jedi or what the Jedi were. Then when we got the prequels and you saw how big the how big the Jedi were, and then you got a have to make yourself believe that they sort of faded into legend. And now here we are again with, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I just always had an issue with, but I guess that's just how big this galaxy is. We have to remember. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Jedi, you know, the, the worlds that were involved in, the war, the Clone Wars, you know, probably saw a lot of Jedi, but you saw a lot of worlds where they would show up and people were like, who are you and why are you here? Right. So, you know, that makes well, his, well, his of, response pretty well, believable. Kind of the story with that has always been like, the galaxy's a really big place. Even if there's a couple of thousand Jedi, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not a lot of people. That's not, a, that's not a, a lot of people on one planet. Right. That's That's not a lot of people, even if they're all living on Coruscant full-time. That's not a lot of people. Right. That's true. But anyway, uh, does anybody have any thoughts before we wrap up for the night? This is the way, by golly. (laughs) If there was ever any doubt of, like, how do you Star Wars? This is it. And, I mean, I say that as somebody who really enjoyed, um, the you know, all the things that Disney's done with Star Wars. But this just takes it to a whole new level of awesomeness. Yeah. And there's so many things. I mean, the show by itself is great, but I think that the the big thing this show's going to give us is was proven at the Investors Day, where I've I've been accusing Lucasfilm for a couple of years now of really not knowing what to do with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's like we finished that last movie, and they're like, "Yeah, we're going to take a break for a few years, mm-hmm. figure it all out." It's like, how do you figure, what do you figure it out? You had Kathleen Kennedy a while back saying, you know, there's not a lot to draw from. And we're all going, what are you talking about? There's not a lot to draw from. And I've been, you know, very accusatory towards Lucasfilm in general over not knowing what they wanted to do with Star Wars. And I really think that 
what John Fav- John Favreau's vision, which has been polished up by Filoni's knowledge, just has really blown the doors open as far as what's possible with Star Absolutely. Wars. Which is why we got a dozen announcements at the Investor's Day. Yep. So I'm very excited about the future of Star Wars. I, it's For a while, it's kind of been, you know, in fact, we left off a while back going, we don't know when we're getting Star Wars again. It wasn't that long ago that we were going, when this movie's over, I don't know when we're going to get Star Wars again. Yep. Which right. just kind of felt like, you know, the early 2000s all over again. It's like, well, Star Wars is gone. Star Which Wars is, is over. how people felt in 1983. It's like, yep. I can't believe Star Wars is over. Yeah. And uh, there's really no reason for it. And there's so much story to tell in such a huge sandbox. And I cannot wait to see what the future of Star Wars is on Disney Plus and in theaters. But yeah. I think that we, we have to get we have to get to the episode where we talk about all the uh, shareholder meeting announcements because I got to ask you about the Rogue Squadron yeah. movie. Um, yeah, let me know what night this week you can come back and do that. Okay. I know you got thoughts on the Rogue Squadron. Oh, movie. absolutely. I've been waiting on that movie for a long time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's going to wrap us up for tonight. This episode was a little longer than usual, but there was a lot to talk about. And uh, Marisha, until next time, until next year, where can people find you? You can find me um on my website, princessesandpadawans.com. And yes, I know there's not much on it, but it's there, y'all. I have an Instagram. I'm princesses underscore and underscore Padawans. And I am P Padawans on Twitter. All right. And Daniel? Um, You can find me as Dan C. Peeps on Twitter. And every so often on this show and a little more occasionally on the Science Fictionary, and that's about it. All right. And David? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at J underscore David Poole. All right. And I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at crew underscore podcast at C-R-U underscore podcast. You can find me at the sciencefictionary.com, which we've we've mentioned the investors meeting from Disney a couple of times during this episode. And I have a rundown of all of the Star Wars and Marvel stuff there at thesciencefictionary.com if you want to check that out. You can check us out. You can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail. Oh, wrong one. You can drop us a line at coruscantradiounderground at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family at red5network.com or at red5network on Twitter. And until next time, have a Merry Christmas. A happy new year, and we'll see you in 2021. May the force be with you.